Thanks very much, uh, Chris. Welcome. My name is Johnny. If I've not met you before, pastor here at uh, Redeemer. Um, we don't normally go through, what is this, eight chapters <laughs> at a time. Um, but if maybe later you want to read through these chapters, you'll see that there is a reason why we're doing this. They, they hold together. It's lots of names of, of places and land, lots of kind of division. Um, so we're going to just try and take out the big themes from these uh, chapters. That's why we're doing it all in one. But it'd be really handy to have your Bibles open in front of you because we'll be uh, skipping around a little bit. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, gracious God, we thank you that every word of Scripture uh, is in there for our good and your glory. We pray this morning that as we think about some of these parts that perhaps seem at first obscure to us, we would nonetheless see the glory of Christ revealed in them. In Jesus' name, amen. I used to watch a lot of James Bond films uh, when I was younger, growing up. Uh, and in the old ones, um, there was this, this, this thing that nearly always happened. Uh, the villain has this master plan to maybe blow up the world or steal billions of dollars or take the leaders of the free world captive. And the plan has almost worked. And there's one last thing they need to do. I don't know, press a button. Give an order. And they'd do that last thing, uh, uh, then they'd have it. They'd have the billions uh, of dollars. They would have world domination. But then James Bond turns up, and they hesitate or they pause. They don't press the button. They don't give the command. Instead, they have this kind of long speech or some kind of thing that they want to say. And, and in that time, James Bond comes up with some way of overcoming their plan. He ruins everything and saves the day. World domination was theirs. They just had to take hold of it. And these chapters are here in the Bible to warn us, do not be like a James Bond villain. There are many reasons why you should not be like a James Bond villain, but this is the particular reason. Take hold of what is in your grasp. Take hold of what has been given to you. Okay, let's think about that first point. Take hold of your inheritance. If you've been with us in this series on Joshua, then you would know that what the story is, that God's people are moving into the land that he has promised to give them as a home. And they've been slowly conquering this land. And in chapters 10 to 12 last week, we had a list of all the kings who had been defeated by Israel. Showed us incredible progress, 31 kings in total. But there is still more to do. Chapter 13, verse 1. When Joshua had grown old, the Lord said to him, You are now very old, and there is still very large areas of land to be taken over. The idea, taken over, it, it's repeated throughout these chapters. It means to take possession of. And, and throughout these chapters, you, you, you get these, these two thoughts. First, the Lord has given Israel the land as an inheritance. And part of what Joshua is doing in these chapters is allocating that inheritance. So, so in chapters 13 to 17, it is the tribes of Reuben and Judah and Ephraim and Manasseh, and they are allocated their inheritance. Joshua is saying, tribe of Reuben, this is where you're going to live. Uh, tribe of Judah, this is where you're going to live. This is your inheritance. But not every tribe is allocated their inheritance in, in those chapters. And so we read chapter 18, verse 2. 
But there were still seven Israelite tribes who had not yet received their inheritance. And so in chapters 18 to 19, Joshua divides the rest of the land. Every tribe is given a portion of the land as an inheritance. But here's the other idea. Here is the other key thing. It is one thing to be given the land, the inheritance. It is another thing to take possession of it. Listen to what Joshua says in chapter 18, verse 3. He said to the Israelites, How long will you wait before you begin to take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has given you? You see, you can be given the inheritance, but you've still not taken possession of it. Now, as a parent, I sometimes think about the numerous ways that I can annoy our children uh, once I'm gone. Top of the list is to buy some ugly piece of furniture, some, some kind of home decor, and turn it into a family heirloom and insist they keep hold of it in remembrance of us. So let's say I go and buy a huge fake stuffed bear and I would take it to them and say, this is your inheritance. Now, not only would this annoy them, it would also mean that they would work that much harder to take care of us so that we live that bit longer. Because the stuffed bear won't become theirs until I die. Only then would they take possession of it. You see the difference between being given an inheritance and taking possession of it. That is what's going on in these chapters. Israel has given her inheritance, the land is hers, but she needs to take possession of it. She needs to chase out the remaining uh, enemies that still uh, are present in the land. There are still battles to be fought. And in a moment, we're going to see how you do that, how you take possession of an inheritance. But here's why this is important, because as Christians, we are in the same position that the people of Israel were in. The Lord Jesus has won for us a salvation and inheritance, but we still need to take hold of it. It'll be on the screen. In 1 Peter, chapter 1, Peter puts it like this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. The inheritance is ours. Jesus has secured it for us. Our inheritance is safe. It cannot perish, spoil, or fade. But just like the Israelites still needed to fight to take possession of their inheritance, so we as Christians still have to wait to take possession of our inheritance. It is being kept for us. Paul puts it a slightly different way in Philippians chapter 3. Again, it'll be on the screen, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. You see, it's the same idea. 
We have a prize. We have an inheritance kept for us. But we need to take possession of it. We need to press on. We need to take hold of it using all the strength that God works in us. I've been loving um, the Ashes cricket uh, this summer so far, these last couple of weeks. But as you watch the cricket or listen, one of the most painful things is watching a fielder reach out, get his hand on the ball, ready to catch it, to get the batsman out. But then he fails to close his fingers around the ball and it slips away. That would be the biggest tragedy of your life. To have your hand, as it were, on the inheritance that Christ has won for you, but to fail to close your fingers around it and to let it slip away. The most precious thing in all the universe. To let go of it. Brothers and sisters, do not drift in your Christian walk. Do not become complacent. Rather, press on with all the power that God works in us to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of you. Take possession of your inheritance. I think you probably know, and I probably know, some Christians who who had the appearance of following Christ seemed that their fingers were around the inheritance but they've let go. They've let it slip by. They've given up the thing that is of greatest value in the entire universe. Do not make the same mistake. Take hold of your inheritance. But secondly, how? How do we take hold of it? Well, patiently fight for your inheritance. Now, throughout these chapters, this long account of dividing the land and giving out the inheritance, you get some brilliant details. Like I said, if, if you get a chance, read through this later on. You, you can skip over some of the names if you need to, but, but some of the details in there are brilliant. You, you discover there is justice in there, as Israel's former enemies are particularly singled out to shown to be defeated. Uh, you see that there is equality. The level of detail shows that every person in Israel is given a piece in the land. But also in those details, you get examples. Examples of people who fight, who press on to take possession of the inheritance they have been given. I'm going to look at one of those examples, Caleb in chapter 14. Now, if you go back 40 years from the moment that this is the event this is being talked about here, when the people of Israel were first on the edge of the land of Canaan, Moses sent out 12 spies to head into Canaan and report back. Ten of them returned terrified. And they made the rest of the people terrified. Only two spies trusted the Lord's promise to give Israel the land. Joshua and Caleb. And because Caleb, all those years ago, trusted the Lord, he was promised a special inheritance in the land. Chapter 14, verse 9. It's Caleb speaking. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. 
Caleb wholeheartedly followed the Lord and he wholeheartedly trusted that the Lord would give him this special inheritance. But look how long he has to wait. Chapter 14, verse 10. Now then, Caleb still speaking, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said to Moses while Israel moved out in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. 45 years Caleb had to wait. And it wasn't an easy wait. During that time, Israel were wandering around the wilderness. There must have been moments when the whole thing seemed very unlikely. If I made a promise to you that one day I will cook you a meal, and with every year that passed, you would begin to doubt that promise, wouldn't you? To be honest, you'd be dodging a bullet with my kind of cooking, but but nonetheless, you you would begin to doubt that I was ever going to fulfill that promise. For Caleb, year after year goes by, 45 years. But he never stopped believing. Caleb patiently waited. As all his peers slowly died around him, he waited. As his body grew older and older. I'm about the same age that Caleb was uh, when he first had the promise. And already I'm beginning to feel a few aches and and pains. I have this expression when I kind of get up sometimes, bones of old age. You know, you feel them creaking a little bit. Children love to take the mickey out of that. But even as his body was getting older and older, more creaky, Caleb waited. This is how you take possession of your inheritance. You wait. And I think in this room, some of you can absolutely identify with Caleb. You have been Christians for a long time. Many years have passed since you first put your faith in Jesus, since he first promised you an inheritance, and you have been patiently waiting. You are our Caleb's. You are showing us how to end well, how to patiently hold on to Jesus right until the end as your peers begin to die, as your bodies begin to falter and fade, as your desire to be home with the Lord grows stronger and stronger, you have waited patiently. Please continue to be Caleb to us. Please continue to show us how to wait for our inheritance. Show us how to keep holding on to Christ through many, many years of life. But amazingly, Caleb didn't just wait patiently. He fought vigorously. Chapter 14, verse 11. Again, Caleb speaking, I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard that Then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. It's brilliant, isn't he, Caleb? (laughs) And there's a fantastic detail here, actually. The people that Caleb needs to attack are some of the most fearsome people living in the land. The Anakites are descendants of Anak, 
the father of the giants. 85-year-old Caleb doesn't look for a quiet and easy life. He sets out to fight some of the fiercest fighters in the land. It's a good reality check for us, isn't it? You know, some of us think, look, just get through life, um, you know, get, get, get through work, hit retirement, and then things will be easy and enjoyable, and I can kind of construct life around me, and, and it will be lovely. But it might be that the fiercest fighting you have to do as a Christian comes in the latter years of your life. Just have that in the back of your mind. And we must fight. You see, Caleb is contrasted with the tribe of Joseph, which is actually made up of two small tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh. Now, now the tribe of Joseph, in chapter 17, they're not happy with the inheritance, the land that they've been allotted. And in chapter 17, verse 14, they say to Joshua, Joshua, we've got more people, we need more land. And Joshua says back, verse 15, If you are so numerous, and if the hill country of Ephraim is too small for you, go up into the forest and clear land for yourselves there in the land of the Perizzites and the Rephaites. But interestingly, the tribe of Joshua are not so sure about this. In verse 16, at first they say, do you know what, that bit of land, it's just not quite big enough for us, Joshua. But then comes the real reason. Verse 16, and all the Canaanites who live in the plain have chariots fitted with iron. They are scared. They don't think they're going to be able to defeat those Canaanites because they have iron chariots. Caleb, 85 years old, probably got a walking stick, is jumping up and down and saying, let me fight, let me fight. And he takes on the fearsome giant tribe. The biggest tribe in Israel not only moan that their inheritance isn't good enough, they then refuse to take possession of the land because they are scared. It's not enough to wait patiently for our inheritance. Like Caleb, we need to fight courageously as well. We need courage to take hold of Christ even in the face of daunting oppression or opposition. We need courage to fight against the sin that so easily entangles our hearts. We need courage to fight against our desire to be loved and accepted by the world if the cost of that acceptance means losing hold of Christ. Because if we don't fight, then disaster could be the outcome. Joseph isn't the only tribe that failed to fight with courage. Chapter 13, verse 13. But the Israelites did not drive out the people of Gesher and Makkah, so they continue to live among the Israelites to this day. Chapter 15, verse 63. Judah could not dislodge the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. To this day, the Jebusites live there with the people of Judah. You get the same thing in chapter 16, verse 10, and you get it again in chapter 17, verse 12. You see, throughout Israel, there are these little pockets 
of Canaanites still living. And in the end, those few Canaanites who continued to worship their gods brought down the whole of Israel. Over time, Israel started worshipping the Canaanite gods, and in the end, she was thrown out of the land. Israel lost her inheritance because she didn't take full possession of it. They stopped fighting. They left small pockets of Canaanites in the land. And this hits home to us, I think, in a couple of ways. At an institutional level, at the level of the church, it's why sometimes we, with all humility, need to talk about error in the church. We need to confront, we need to challenge graciously but clearly one another about views that we might hold that do not fit with the teachings of Scripture. Sometimes we might even need to point out error that other Christians are teaching. Not because we love confrontation, but because if error and false teaching is allowed to linger like those Canaanites in the land, then it can slowly move our hearts away from Christ. At the institutional level, this hits us home, doesn't it, at a personal level as well. You know, I I think we get used to certain sins in our life, certain attitudes, certain patterns of behavior. We know that they are not ideal, but we're used to them. A bit like the pockets of Canaanites living in Israel. It's not ideal, but Israel get used to them. Brothers and sisters, don't let sin linger in your hearts. None of us are going to be perfect this side of glory. But don't give up the fight. Don't let sin linger. That it might draw you away from Christ. So take possession of your inheritance by patiently fighting. Third, set your heart on the glory of your inheritance. Now these chapters, you read through them, it's all about land. Israel's inheritance is a place, it's a home, somewhere they could be rooted and secure. And when it comes to our inheritance as Christians, it's the same. It is about land. It is about place. It's more than land. We'll see that in a moment. But Israel's inheritance and our inheritance is never less than land. The land we're looking forward to isn't a small bit of the earth in the Middle East. No, it's the whole earth. What does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes, verse 6? He says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And like Peter says in 1 Peter, that future is beyond perishing, fading, or spoiling. So yes, Israel's inheritance, our inheritance, is about land. But it is more than land. The structure of these chapters deliberately puts chapter 18, verse 1, in the middle. Let me read that verse to you. 18, verse 1. The whole assembly of the Israelites gathered at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting there. The tent of meeting is the place where God dwelt and met with his people. It was the kind of precursor to the temple that would be set up in Jerusalem. And Shiloh is geographically 
in the middle of Israel. So so right at the center of Israel is the tent of meeting. Right at the center of Israel is the living God. And not only is he at the center, he surrounds Israel. This whole section, 13 to 21, it begins and ends with a section about the Levites. The the Levites were, were the priests, they were the kind of church leaders of their day, and they served the rest of Israel by pointing them to God. So the priests of the Lord surround the inheritance. They're there at the beginning, they're there at the end. And then in chapter 21, the Levites are given cities to dwell in. And those cities are evenly distributed amongst the 12 tribes of Israel. The priests representing the living God are spread throughout Israel. Yes, this inheritance is about land, but it is more than that. It is about the living God. He is at the center of his people. He surrounds his people. He is amongst his people. And it's the same for our inheritance as well. We will inherit the earth, but more, we will inherit the living God. In the Beatitudes, Jesus didn't only say that we would inherit the earth. Two verses later, Matthew 5, verse 8, he said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. How do you wait with patience now? How do you fight and fight and fight until the end without giving up? What's going to motivate you to take hold of your inheritance? It is the glory of that inheritance. The glory of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who will be at the center, who will surround, who will be amongst us in that future inheritance. In the book Lord of the Rings, I haven't mentioned Lord of the Rings for at least two months, so I'm due one. In Lord of the Rings, Frodo and Sam, they are deep in enemy country, and the most fearful and greatest task is still ahead of them. It is a moment where they could have easily given up, but Sam creeps out of his hiding place, and he looks up into the sky at night, and Tolkien writes, be on the screen, there, peeping among the cloud rack above a dark tor, high up in the mountains, Sam saw a white star twinkle for a while. The beauty of it smote his heart as he looked up out of the forsaken land and hope returned to him. For like a shaft, clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end the shadow was only a small and passing thing. There was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. You see, brothers and sisters, set your hearts on the beauty and glory of God as seen in the Lord Jesus. Fill your hearts with this thought. Not only will you inherit the earth, you will see God. And do all that you can to take hold of your inheritance. The shadow, that the suffering, the sin, the evil one, the opposition is small and passing. There is a light and high beauty, and an incredible glory forever beyond its reach. Set your hearts on the glory of your inheritance. But look, just as we close, I want us to notice one last thing. I said earlier, what what makes these chapters hard to read is the level of detail. 
We're told about the specific inheritance of each tribe, who will get what. But, but that detail is brilliant because it's making the point that nobody will miss out. All of God's people will enjoy all of God's inheritance. And I think that's why there's this very obscure chapter towards the end, chapter 20. It's talking about cities of refuge. It seems to come from nowhere. And these cities work like this. If, if you accidentally killed someone, then the danger is that the family of the person you killed is, is going to want revenge. That They're going to seek you out and want to kill you. But if it was a genuine accident, you could flee to a city of refuge where you would be safe from revenge attacks. The problem is, once you were there, you couldn't leave. On the one hand, you would be safe, but on the other hand, you were kept from your inheritance, your land. And so listen to chapter 20, verse 6. They are to stay in that city until the death of the high priest who is serving at the time. Then they may go back to their own home in the town from which they fled. When the high priest dies, they are free to enjoy their inheritance. Brothers and sisters, 2,000 years ago, the great high priest died. And when he did, Jesus Christ set us free. He opened the door so that we could walk out of the kingdom of darkness where we were imprisoned by our own sin and proud hearts and we could walk into the kingdom of light, an inheritance that will never perish, spoil or fade. One day we will take possession of that inheritance because through his death, Jesus, the great high priest, has set us free. So with your heart set on the glory of your future inheritance, with your eyes fixed on Christ, your Savior, press on with all the power that God is working through you to take hold of your inheritance. Moment quiet, then we're going to pray. Heavenly Father, our grasp of what is to come is very feeble, is very weak. Our excitement and enthusiasm about life with you forever is not what it should be. And so we pray that you would help us to set our hearts on the glory of what is to come. And the thought of being with you and your people would give us every motivation we need to wait and to fight and to take hold of what you have given us in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.